Hey guys, please don't forget to visit L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash A-W-E dot comics uh, to pick up your copy of The Punishment Social Justice. Ryan and I worked extremely hard on it, and we would love for you to read it. Uh, and till June 1st, so only a couple days left for this, you can get a free digital copy, or you can splurge, throw us five bucks, and you get the print edition, which is a very limited first edition print. So, uh, go get it. Please. Second episode of WT Fada. I am Ron, joined here as always by Mr. Ryan Alves, and also returening champion John Callahan is back, baby. How are you? And the crowd goes silent. <laughs> That's like intro music. Like what was Triple H's like two yeah. coming in? Oh, right, dude. I want I need something. I want um, <laughs> I want the new age outlaws, dude. Heck yeah. Oh, you didn't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, man, I'm okay. back, you know. Life comes at you fast and and here I am. Nice. Cheers, and I'm here with a sponsor, um, oh. Bitvine Wine, not our sponsor, but I've seen them sponsor podcasts. Oh. I'm drinking cool. it, you know. All right. cool. Maybe they'll well, throw um, us a bone. That's right. Yeah, you just be like, "Hey, we're already spon- we're already like sponsored by you," just so you know. Yeah, uh, you know. We've thank you for sponsoring email. our show. Thank you. I'll send them a nice email. Be like, thank you so much. Well, I'll be very you know, grateful. And they'd be like, oh my God, did we forget that we sponsored these people? And then they'd be like, you did. And then they'll, you know, hook us up. It's been a while. Could... It's, it was pre-email, so you might have forgotten, but yeah. We're definitely <laughs> we started this there. show. We started this show a long time ago. A very long time ago. Uh, this show was originally founded in 1877. <laughs> this is when me and John first started started podcasting. And back then it was it was just me and him would share a bag of pea pods, which is where the name came from. We'd sit in chairs and we'd talk about different topics. Like at that time it was like churning butter or plowing fields or 
you know, leathering skin. women's ankles. Um, I was just going to talk about the women's ankles. I didn't know if that was too inappropriate. No, it's fine. I mean, it's a little bit racy, but I feel like modern audiences probably a little bit more forgiving. You know, sometimes uh, you we catch were a good breeze, and you and you see like that ankle ball there, and you're like, "Whew!" Yeah, I'm gonna invite when her that, over for dinner. When that, when that slaughter a cow for her tonight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when that, when that hip to hip to toe dress flutters a little bit in the wind, you get like just that peak of ankle. Whew! Man, it feel uh, a little dirty. You're like, you're like, ah, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to see it, but I did, and I can't help it. It just. It just it awakens something inside me. I gotta go to church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I would, we would go anyways. But, uh, <laughs> but, but no, I mean that was the original. That was the original podcast, and that's where you know the podcasting name came from. It was just me and John sharing the bag of teapots, um, and forgetting what you're talking about. Yeah, and at that yeah. time we didn't even have recording equipment. It was pre that, so we didn't really. We were just talking and eating peapods, and some people would come and sit, listen to us, um, because there was like nothing going on back then. So it was very easy to get an audience going. Uh, but anyways, this is a long, this is a long conversation. <laughs> what's new with Absolutely you guys? It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, what's going on? <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, currently suffering from springtime uh but that's cool because i'm all like vexed up so i'm not like potentially going to perish anymore or at least for the next like six months or so so that's cool um almost done with the third issue of the maelstrom the cover continues to elude me and give me infinite grief even though i have like a handful of great ideas that you know all are great in my brain but just like haven't had the image kind of be found yet mm. but uh yeah painted some new comics read some new comics um trying to get uh the next kind of like batch of projects started uh before you know i kind of realize that i'm out of time and you know have to like make up for lost time or something but yeah, you know, basically the same thing I've been doing for about a year now, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do for another year if this persists. You know, yeah. What about what about y'all? Where you, John? You've been you've been gone for like a decade. I don't even. I've been. You got your hair back and like. M-I-A. <laughs> I don't even know who I you are it, anymore. I think it's been like a month and a half. Well, I think it was like Godzilla her. versus Kong the last one you yeah. were on? Yeah. Yes? No? I think so. I think it was. You didn't talk about Shin Godzilla with us. Mm. Right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's been a month and a half. Um, so yeah. you left the show you on know. a high note. Godzilla <laughs> versus Kong. If you're going to have like <laughs> yeah, a break, yeah. it's like you want to weave on a movie that really like reinvigorated. You know, that movie just it really, it really touched me. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore because <laughs> anything crisis. we talk about from here on out is meaningless. Hit the <laughs> <laughs> this is as good as it gets. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, um, ooh, I guess I've just been trying to survive lately and adjust you know 
you know, like I mentioned earlier, life comes at you quick is what it is. Shit happens. And, you know, you just got to keep on keeping on. Right. That's what I liked about like when you and I started WT Fada, it was at a point where it was like, wow, like nothing is quite going the way that it should be going the way that we want it to go. And I mean, even like still in this juncture, it's not like we're, it's like we're, we're slowly getting places, you know, and we're slowly accruing things that I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. So I'll get into that in a second, but basically what I'm, what I want to say is that WT Fod has been like a good, like anchor for me. It's like every week it's like, I know that I'm doing this and it's like the more that we do this, the more kind of things are opening up and it feels more like getting on some sort of a track, you know what I mean? And that is encouraging. Um, I know early on in the show, we had a crazy spike of listenership in Ireland, uh, which we haven't talked about in a really long time. But yeah, Ireland was listening to us like crazy. Right now, can you guess what state in the, US, in the United States, what state listens to this show the most? The most? Yeah, take a guess. Probably some Ohio Nebraska. or some shit. <laughs> yeah. the fuck? What the fuck, John? How did you do that? Yes, Was Ohio. It? It's Ohio. Nice. That's fucking nuts. Shout out to whole wow. Ohio. Yeah. Thank you, Ohio. Again, it's the same thing as uh it's the and same thing as Ireland. Up. Like yeah, you guys must have like, gotten rid of any kind of mental <laughs> defense mechanism you had <laughs> with... so if people don't know uh we were talking about this off air but I, I shaved my head um and john obviously that's like his signature look is the shaved head so now we both look like like two lex luthers uh <laughs> and where you apparently are sharing brain waves or something but yeah ohio and i just wanted to say that it is the exact same situation as ireland where i don't know why people are listening to us in ohio but we love you thank you very much for being here with us and uh yeah i mean jesus that's super cool we don't have anybody i don't have any family in ohio or friends in ohio do you there's some like creatives i know out there but i don't know anybody personally i don't think no strange yeah i don't know man ohio is uh (laughs) well first of all i want areas for me yeah, it's uncharted, and I gotta, I gotta say, it's, you know, it's nice to be listened to by what I would say is the best state in America, you know. And I just want to reiterate that that having that listenership is an honor. Um, yeah, I just want to like throw out there that we Ohio people that live in Ohio that are listening to this, we are probably your last remaining allies because. There's been like a plethora of Ohio hate on the internet lately. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but yeah. I've just seen all so many memes of like just shitting on Ohio. And I don't know why it happened, but it did. And they have turned to us. So let's, you know what, man, we're going to make Ohio 
great again. Great mediocre <laughs> again. Ah, let's go mediocre. I don't know about great. I don't know, man. Dude, it's the Midwest. Yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah, I feel like we've been back in 1980. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they. They did give us Drew Carey. And Drew Carey, you know, that's a that's a win. Drew Carey is great. So yeah. And then there's also there's and then they took Harambe people. away from us. So yeah. Oh shit. One step. Yeah, I ahead. forgot about that. A lot of steps back. <laughs> yeah, it's like one. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. A couple of small like uh, small press shows in Ohio in Ohio that are pretty good. Um, yeah. I can't think of them offhand, but I think there's one in like Columbus that's like pretty decent. But uh, yeah, that's like a Great Plains state, right? It's just like not a whole lot except for the towns every like hundred miles, right? Or is I'm, that, like, I'm Kansas? I, it it might be. I honestly I have no real knowledge of Ohio, and I've also been perplexed at the anti-Ohio sentiment online. <laughs> I've been like, where did this come from? Like, there are states that deserve it because they're in the news constantly with, like, <laughs> man fucks alligator. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, you get what you deserve. Not to mention any okay? states, Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, Ohio, you never hear anything bad about, really. I mean, I don't, I can't think of anything that I've heard in the news that's, like, a huge problem I know, man. That, that I I, think that's it's... coming to mind. I feel like it started around the March Madness stuff, but I don't know. I don't know if this is yeah. direct correlation, and I, I I can't say for sure. But I feel like that's around the time it happened, and I don't know. I don't follow college basketball. You know what it might be too is that Ohio is often considered like a big swing state, right? So maybe like, there's maybe a lot of swingers that of, live there. My understanding is, and I don't, I can't speak to how those people look, but my understanding is that yes, they do. You guys want to like, get down. Re- do you want to relocate to I Ohio? yes, I that's what I'm hinting at. Yes. I heard rent's pretty cheap out there, so I heard the same thing. You know, yeah. Let's might as well let's go to our go. audience, right? Yeah, right. We'll make Ohio the unofficial capital of WT Fox. <laughs> the whole state. The whole state. <laughs> yeah. All right. <clears throat> um also I wanted to bring up I, I saw uh you know we're not talking about it on this show but i saw spiral i went to see it in theaters um and i oh is it good bad is it i think it's like right right around like there like it's 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 pretty good um that's the best review i've heard so far of it yeah i like here's the thing is i think Alves and I have talked in the past about being like suckers for the Saw movies. I don't know if it was on the show or if it was just in passing between us, but like the Saw movies are pretty good, even though they're trash. You know what I mean? Like you you feel that they are garbage movies, but also you kind of admire them for their attempt at like maybe some pseudo philosophy and some genuine mystery. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, and like some like fun with like gore it seems like like i haven't had that that same kind of fun in really any other horror franchise or like movie except for maybe hobo with a shotgun <laughs> which i'm going to bring up drink. every episode moving forward <laughs> drink every time ryan brings up hobo with a shotgun <laughs> fuck we gotta put that we gotta put that as an episode coming up we will 
uh, try to get it out of your system. <laughs> Good luck, man. Boba with a shotgun, part one. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to WT Fada. This is episode 100, Hobo with a shotgun, part 15. Uh, <laughs> um, Still might not be enough. Probably not. <laughs> but no, I mean, so <clears throat> I will tell you, this is like like quick notes, okay? So Chris Rock is awesome in it. Very funny, um, obviously. Funny? He's funny um, in it? He, he looked like yeah. the, the hard-edged kind of detective guy. He's stretching some different muscles, you know what I mean? Like he's doing like a little bit of like drama, but also... He mixing in a little bit of like like Chris kind Rock. of a dark sense of humor you know um he had a joke about how <clears throat> women are smart with the way they cheat and that uh he said women cheat during the daytime it's a lot easier to like get away with it you know what i mean and make it seem like you're not doing anything bad and he was like i just found out pilates isn't even real and I was like, "That's kind of a funny joke. I, I kind of enjoy that." <laughs> the same thing. The same thing applies about driving drunk, man. Yeah, That's you use that day drinking, man. Two in the afternoon, nobody suspects a thing. You're golden. <laughs> the, the only people that might, get, you know, that might pick up on it are are dead within moments of the realization that you're drunk driving. <laughs> I mean, I'm totally kidding, everybody. That is a joke. Please don't day drink and drive. We do not endorse that here. I don't think it's that bad of a thing. Um, no. Um, yeah, so Chris Rock was great in it. Um, here's, a, here's a downside. Uh, the... Jigsaw Killer's voice, the copycat Jigsaw Killer's voice, is the worst decision I've seen in a movie in my life. I think. Really? I am 100. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is it I mean, Gilbert Gottfried? <laughs> that would have been better. That would have been better. It sounds like it's Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory is what it sounds like. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, they're like, shit. it's just like this whiny, nerdy fucking voice. And it was immediately like I had a, I had a, a moment of like dissonance where I was like, am I in the right theater? I was like, is this a joke? Is this like, is this actually like happening right now? Is somebody and, just in your ear like... Uh, Whispering the lines fast. Yeah. Or, or what, like what in the context. You go to? Theaters are. Which one do you go to? Um, I went to the AMC in Methuen. Um, Is Burlington open again? I think they are. I think wow, everything's starting them, to get. Yeah, get back. That, that's good news. Uh, but they are like kind of like on a different schedule or something. Some of them. So yeah. it's Like we're only open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Like you know. Um. I can believe we got that yeah. Chunkies was open during the pandemic and that was a thing that we went and saw movies there. Like, I just completely, like, I don't know, man, yeah. Mandela affected. I don't know. So for Ryan and our listeners in Ohio, uh, Chunkies is a movie theater chain uh, that basically it's like you sit down these big luxurious recliners at like boardroom tables and you get to order food from like a wait staff that brings you stuff and uh 
there was literally no change in procedure it felt like maybe they were more focused on keeping people like at separate tables but i didn't really feel like there was much intervention on the part of the staff when we went it was sort of like they came out they were like hey what do you want to have and we were like i guess I was like, I'll have chicken tenders and some onion rings. And they were like, all right, cool. And then they brought it out without utensils. And I didn't have anything to, like, <laughs> clean my hands with. <laughs> you got to go with, like, the names like, okay. of the food, man. Oh, like, you want to talk about of the... Wizard of sticks? Is that what they were called? The, yeah, the Kevin Bacon burger. <laughs> uh, <laughs> come on. <Nice. laughs> the ham that time forgot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, just, uh, it is, uh, it, it's a fun theater to go to, but during the pandemic, well, it's like very Chunkies, strange. It better be. Yeah, yeah, they, to overcome a name like that is difficult, uh, yeah. but they do, they do all right. I don't know, it's just weird, I feel like, like, we were like, yeah, movie theaters are open, let's go see shit, and then, I think the last movie we saw there was Bill and Ted, and then, like, I just Ooh. completely forgot that that place existed. I never looked to see if anything was playing there again. No, I, I, uh, I think it was right before like everything took like that next big downturn. Oh, okay. It was it was close to like everything getting like real bad again. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think what happened was we saw. No, no. Well, yeah, I don't know. We saw two movies there, and one was Tenet, Mm -hmm. and the other was Bill and Ted's, and uh, Tenet was an experience that was not fun it was just such it's so strangely put together and the the audio mix on that movie is like worse than any of the other mixes and any of the other nolan movies like you cannot hear (laughs) you cannot hear what anybody is saying at any time and not for nothing it is a complex puzzle that this dude is trying to put in front of you And it's like, if there's no clarity, like if you give me a puzzle and all of the pieces, like all of the pieces of the puzzle have like mushy edges, like I have, I stand zero chance of being able to put this together. Like make this shit crisp. If it's crisp, I might be able to put this together. But um, yeah, I don't know. A couple of weird movies to see in that, in that theater. This Bill and Ted kind of had a weird audio mix too. I don't know if it's the theater. I've heard other people complain about Tenet though, but Sometimes yeah. uh, I think that the Chunky's audio mix is a little bit funny, you know? Yeah, yeah. I saw, I saw Ted. I, I liked, well, I don't know. I have very complex emotions about Tenet because, like, <clears throat> it was cool as, like, a sci-fi James Bond movie with, like, a black guy in it. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of felt like Chris Nolan being like, oh, I haven't put any black people in my movies except for the ones that I, you know, wantonly execute in, like, Dark Knight. Uh, right or whatever and did you ever go back to look at that did you no watch i still haven't i'm oh, okay, still right, like, okay. nervous <laughs> i told is that, is that a yeah thing? we were we were talking it was an easter egg on one of the episodes that we did a while ago but it was that i when i watch the dark knight there's one thing that i see like more than anything else and that i don't feel like a lot of other people have talked about or they're uncomfortable to talk about but it's like if the joker kills an extra it's a black person like every time almost almost every time time. almost every time like i think the bus driver in the beginning of it is a white guy just judging by the by his voice he sounds like a like kind of like you know that's a lot of money you know um (laughs) 
But then after that, it's like I can just off the top of my head, I can start going through and I'm like the two guys that he that are gambles dudes uh, that he kills by proxy with like the pool stick and making them do the tryouts or whatever. Also, gambles guy with the pencil, which some people debate whether you would die from that. I think that dude was dead. Um, how about yeah, the police? Just it's just like, oh, yeah, I have a fucking pencil in my oh, head. Um, <clears throat> there's the police officer that is telling the truck, you got to move, and the Joker shoots him with a shotgun. There's the police officer that walks into Harvey Dent's hospital room that gets shot. Um, that's just real quick, like, right? Commissioner uh, Loeb. Commissioner Loeb. It, it just, like, it keeps going. And, and in like, Chris Nolan's movies that are notoriously pale, like yeah. a glaring thing that I notice is just like, oh wow, there are not that many black people in these movies, you know. No. And mm-hmm. uh, he he does get one guy in that movie that's like the, you know, like that that is like the most heroic of the convicts in that movie. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. What tiny, tiny. Lister is that what is the name? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Tiny. Yeah, the, but like, yeah. yeah. And he has like this big like brand thing on the side of his face, and like that that guy gets to be like kind of a a secondary dude that is black that does something important and doesn't die. <laughs> guaranteed, if the Joker was on that boat, he would shot that guy right in the face, like one hundred percent. You know, <laughs> it would have been no questions asked. And um, it's like it's a cool thing. I think yeah, we were talking about it. Like it'd be a cool thing to make the Joker like a bigot, just to make him even more a grating personality. But you know, watching all of, like Chris Nolan's other movies and then having you know Tenet be like the icing or like the cherry on top or whatever I was just like oh wow he's really doing like some heavy-handed backtracking by like making a black guy the main character and just being like I I uh you know he's yeah and it's awesome and like he gets I don't know I really like the that lead that they got and he gets to do some like really bitching like James Bond stuff without being James Bond but you know, in the context of like Chris Nolan, I was just kind of like, mm, I want to like this movie more than I think I can, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Almost like a hollow attempt, like a kind of hollow yeah. apology. I better do something about this before I get caught. Yeah. It's like, like what Marvel does with like all of their gender and like race swaps. It's just, it feels oh, like, like Shang-Chi? pandery, pandery and kind of, or like the Eternals and just being like, mm-hmm. oh, but we're Angelina Jolie's in there, but look at all these other minorities that's cool right and it just like feels heavy-handed and insincere when it's like oh yeah but all your avengers are still white like it took you guys how long to actually put a main character that isn't a you know a white person like in the lead like just remember that the ancient one in dr strange was tilda swinton that's all you need to keep it in mind exactly and it, it just makes me you know even more sensitive to stuff like this moving forward with you know the promises of like a black superman coming out and you know marvel just basically you know finding the recipe of pandering and managing to like turn it into a multi-million dollar fucking movie machine and uh yeah just like gives me agita what gives me agita agita you know agita. Makes me oh, right. yeah 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 okay 
But like what? I and to also see like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then to see like Snyder, you know, do what he did with like the level of sincerity that he did in the Snyder cut is just like, oh, so you guys are just making sure that you're hiring people that don't give a shit. Like, I see you. I see yeah. every one of you. Dude, the the fact that he like had to fight on multiple occasions to try to include black people in Justice League is a fucking like that is so insane. And just to he see had John Stewart Green Lantern Sweden thing, like yeah, look. he had John Stewart Green Lantern. He had the Iris West we talked about before, like all of these different things that even in like the approved Zack Snyder's Justice League, he still didn't get to do exactly what he wanted, you know? Yeah. So it's it's very uh, it's telling. It's very strange. Yeah. It is. It's weird. It's telling of the industry and kind of where the collective conscious is trying to be guided. And it's just like, you know, they're going to paint Marvel as like, you know, uh, beacons of like ushering in a new era of like diversity in the mainstream when it's just like all the people probably pulling the strings behind them will still be, you know, old rich white guys who, you know, probably have deeply rooted like racist tendencies. And it's just, it gives me little hope for media in the future. Well, you know that the decisions that are being made are like, we're going to make a lot of money off of these insert racist word here. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, you know yeah. that that's the conversation. It's like, you know, it's not motivated by trying to like give representation. Well, I mean, maybe it depends. It, you can't say it broadly, but like the suspicion. The suspicion yeah. is that it's not motivated by trying to give people representation. It's motivated by trying to squeeze extra dollars out of different demographics. You know what yeah. I mean? And that is just so hollow and gross feeling. You know? Yeah. But it's America and it's money. Like that's, that's what it's what we're all about. <laughs> this is a this is a business. Gross, hollow means to getting money. That's it. Speaking of which, how about a word from our sponsors? <laughs> and John, what the fuck are we talking about? Well, it seems this week we're talking about punch, drunk love. Yeah. The movie, not three separate things. I, I have one of those things right now, and In spoiler space. alert, it is not love. Oh. <laughs> All right. But he does have a glass it's of punch a... in his hands. <laughs> yes. Ooh. It's a spiked punch. Um, <laughs> yeah. Punch Drunk Love. Have either of you guys seen that before I, I brought it up? No. No. Nope. And I have to ask, what I prompted you? Oh. Whoop. Yeah. Elvis is breaking up a little uh, bit. He's breaking he up a little it. bit. Uh, what were you going to ask there, John? Oh, I was asking what, what prompted this movie to be a topic of the podcast because this was an odd one. Yeah, I... Um... <laughs> I'm very, very fond of Punch Drunk Love. 
Um, I think it had to do, it was just like a quick aside that we had on one of the episodes where I was talking about how there are some people that are not in the know about Adam Sandler. And those people will sometimes like when I say, oh, you know, that great movie that Adam Sandler was in, they look at me like I'm an asshole. And I'm like, <laughs> you have to understand that this guy does put out a good movie once a decade. There's always one. So it was kind of like a sort of like a an exploration of that. I've had people that like I'll get into a conversation with somebody where I'm talking about like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big movie fan. And they're like, I'm a big movie fan, too. And then as soon as I say, oh, Punch Drunk Love with Adam Sandler, uh, they immediately are like, he's not a movie fan. He's an idiot. And I'm like, no, like, just if you haven't seen it, you can't say that. Like, you got to listen, you know, just watch it. Um, this so that's kind of what cool. it was. Hey. Yeah, that's kind of what it was. Um, Ryan, you haven't okay. seen it either? No, I kept conflating it with like I Heart Huckabees and Perks of Being a Wallflower and it just like did not exist as the thing that I remembered it being in my brain for the last like 15 years. So I've just, yeah, I never made my way back around to it. Like I remember seeing a trailer for it and I was like, oh, a series of a role. And like as a fan of like Billy Madison and Little Nicky and Happy Gilmore, I was pretty hesitant like going into this. And um, the thing that sold me on it was it's you know the dude that did uh, there will there will be blood and uh, what was his other big one? Uh, he did the Master of Magnolia. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't seen Magnolia either, but uh, he remains actually. This is a fun bit of trivia. He is the only director to work with both Daniel Day Lewis and Adam Sandler. It's kind of wild. Hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, actually, at uh, at I think at a film festival following like a showing of Magnolia, uh, they were like, hey, uh, who do you want to work with? Like, who's who are the next guys that you want to have in your movies? And he said, Daniel Day Lewis and Adam Sandler. And the reporters (laughs) laughed at him because they thought he was joking. Yeah, they like the reporters laughed at him because they thought he was joking. And he was like, no, like I like legitimately. Yes. Like those are the two. And that's right in a row how he uh, cast his next movies. Um, But yeah. So what uh, what are your guys' takeaways of Punch Drunk Love? What do you think of it? Who's going first? You want to go first, John? Um, All right. Yeah. So. I knew nothing about this movie. It came out, what, nearly 20 years ago? It's been a while. Yeah, it has been yeah, a while. It wasn't a long time. time. I think it was, what, 2001? I, 2002? 2002. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, Jesus. Uh, I don't know, man. You think Adam Sandler, you think like a comical, lighthearted movie there. You know, the I mean, recency bias. He came out with Hubie Halloween and you're like, what the fuck, man? I don't want to watch an Adam Sandler movie after that. But, you know, <laughs> I dove into it and 
Yeah, you know, it it's it was difficult to watch at, at times just because it was filmed in an odd way. I didn't hate it, but it was weird. Um, the score was very uncomfortable, but that was for a reason. So I get it. And I think yeah. they did that really well. Mm-hmm. They really made me feel uncomfortable and, you know, kind of how the main character was feeling. And I, I get that. And then there were like lots of scenes where like the, the glare of the sun was like blinding. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what the fuck, man? But I didn't hate it. <laughs> yeah, It pissed me off, but I wasn't mad about it. I guess the, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. My my research had um, the cinematographer shooting on film that was designed for low light situations. So anytime there's light in the scene, it like blows out the image pretty significantly. Um, but also, I don't. I have something that I want to talk about, but I don't want to talk about it too early. So it's it's going to be like the finale. So I I won't say anything. But it's almost a serendipitous kind of thing that they captured those like blown out images and those light flares the way that they do because it's become standard in a certain type of movie but we'll we'll get there um alves what did you think uh i i am i still here yes you are sorry yeah for a second you weren't (laughs) i'm gonna turn my wi-fi back on just because i don't think we'll be losing power again cool hope oh no getting worse it'll get worse before it gets better folks yeah i think he turned his wi-fi back on it might take a second yeah that's okay but john you uh you know the uncomfortable score is definitely something that is very prevalent throughout this it's almost creepy yeah like there are moments where it actually is like unnerving like not even just like it causing anxiety it actually feels like you're watching a horror movie or something Uh, yeah and like you're waiting for it to end and it's like you know you and it's like simple situations that this character is in you know but he clearly is very damaged (laughs) oh my god Yeah, so, you know, this guy is clearly, he's struggling, and the score, it makes you feel it in the most simplest of scenes. No. And it may, yeah, and there's no avoiding it. I, I feel, Forget why I, they did it. I feel his pain, you know? Uh. Yeah, <laughs> hey, he was a sad life, man. And, he, you know, when he was like, you know, sometimes I just cry a lot, and I don't know why, and I'm like, oh, I get man. it, man. I get it. That scene is, like... Honest to God, every time I see it, it like cracks me up. It's just so well paced. Just as like sometimes I cry for no reason. <laughs> oh my god, it's perfect. Ryan, you're back. Yeah, sorry uh, about the uh, the sound cannon. Let's get some feedback on this end. And uh, that was amazing. 
I, it was like there were two of your screens on the bottom, so it was like well, a I was quadrant. trying to get out of the one of the Zoom on my phone <laughs> and trying to get into the one on my laptop, and it was just like both of them were just in between, either shutting or starting up, so they were just like both talking yeah. at the same time, and yeah, sorry. I thought this movie was pretty trippy, like... Mm-hmm. The, the kind of color uh, transitions and yeah. and the, like the light and like the glare and I think Adam Sandler just being like a weird kind of uh, who's the guy in the office Steve Carell's character oh yeah guy. yeah Michael Michael Scott yeah. right yeah Michael Scott like he he plays like a good like weirdo well and the movie itself is like built well enough kind of away from the context of the rest of the world that like his whole world just feels weird Mm -hmm. and uh yeah the soundtrack i really dug like just sort of the way uh they like i don't know like i put it on like a similar tier as like amelie in, as far as like oh, romance, yeah. but minus all of the kind of frills and like flair, like it's a lot more muted a technique for like a similar effect. Like you still kind of feel that, you know, falling in love, you know, watching like this dude just like struggle, just trying to like talk to this girl and it's and you know as the audience you're like dude this is so easy like you've never like you'll never get it this easy ever again like this this never happens like just all you got to do is like you know stop being so neurotic for a fucking second yeah and just keep it together for a conversation you'll be all right yeah and they managed to like you know monkey wrench him enough times to like still get some okay Adam Sandler funny stuff in there without it feeling like Adam Sandler funny stuff, you know? And yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. I, I really, I appreciated all the siblings, like all of them being sisters and like that opening scene of him meeting all of them. And they're just like talking about him in the other room. And then like, the conversation of everybody at the table just like listening to all of them talk is just like dude i wouldn't i wouldn't even be in that same town like if i was <laughs> in a place where my sisters could call me like that and just blow up my spot where i'm working and trying to like maintain a seemingly relatively successful like business which i imagine is difficult considering this guy's neuroses and him you know being a weirdo wearing a suit all, all of a sudden like all he's got to do is like follow that girl to Hawaii and stay there, and like that's all I wanted for him for like this whole movie. Yeah. And just when he like leaves her in the, the hospital, I was like, I, I mean, I saw it coming, but I was just yeah. like, God damn it, okay, yeah, you no, know? it's, it's it was awesome. I like yeah. it, it does an amazing job of um making a love story not feel like like exhausting or contrived or anything it like has enough oddity to it that it keeps it from becoming like standard i guess so like if 
if he didn't have like this rampant social anxiety disorder that is like undiagnosed and that he's trying to ignore um this movie would suck it would just be like i don't even give a shit but it's like the underlying current of understanding that this dude is like fractured all the way down to his core and you just don't know what's gonna happen with him yeah and it's it, like big for the best yeah and like there were, there's so many things that you know, if it, like I don't know if I've ever talked about it on the show, but like I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and uh, I know this path. Like I understand this thing, and I understand the shame associated with like completely losing your cool, and then like just denying it, and being like, "Nah, no, I didn't." Like, like they, yeah, I, 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 I didn't. That wasn't me in the bathroom. <laughs> that, that's so, so your, hand, your hands bleeding. <laughs> That's my my favorite sequence. I beat up is, the Yeah, like when he he goes they're out, out to dinner and uh you know the date um what's her what's her name again in this uh Lena, I think it is Lena? Yeah. Lena Wenard. So Lena Wenard is uh sitting there and she starts talking about that same story that caused him to freak out at the family get together and kick out all the windows of the sliding glass doors. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But like, she brings that up and he's like, I don't remember doing that. And then he's like, my sister, she's, she's a liar. And then he's like, I gotta, I gotta go to the bathroom. And he just walks into the bathroom and he just starts laying waste to anything he can get his hands on in the bathroom. And like, he goes and he sits back down at the table and like you think he's just going to be like everything's good and then the guy that owns the restaurant is like excuse me sir can I speak to you and he like pulls him aside <laughs> at least he pulled like, him aside though I was, I was like <laughs> at least he wasn't like he's like alright he's on a date I'll address this on the side it's a fine Dude, can you imagine though if like if you're writing this script I think they took the easy way out because if I was writing this script I would have him confront him at the table in front of her just to see what he would do like i feel like he would have like like any amount of anxiety that you've seen manifest as like rage or anger like would be completely outshined by that moment it'd be like a nuclear bomb blast just you know yeah um but yeah no i thought like that sequence was super funny and him just like trying to like flatly deny it and then leading up to that joke way later in the film when he was like i beat up the bathroom and just like the idea <laughs> just the way that he says it the way that he presents that is uh super funny like they they are able to do such a great job at towing the line between this dude's life is an absolute tragedy and you feel so bad for him but also it is like sickly funny to watch him kind of like go through all of this. Um, yeah. it's, it's an you, interesting approach. Yeah. I mean, a part of you is still like expecting him to be the hero, you know, it's just like, okay, he's going to get the girl eventually. Like mm-hmm. this is going to happen eventually. And like the one time that that sort of expectation evaporated was when they got T-boned by the random hillbilly like Lombros or whatever and I I was just like this is a by the guy that did There Will Be Blood generally like saves his you know gore and violence for like these concentrated moments and I was just like she's dead 
he's about to kill these people in the most brutal and like unforgiving ways and i was just like ready for it and then she wasn't dead and he still just like very methodically just dismantles those dudes (laughs) i was just like yes oh my god it's very very satisfying to watch it was and i i you know the sound of the iron on those guys' heads was not satisfying enough. It was not satisfying <laughs> enough, man. I was like, come on. But it was like, a long time ago. But I could I could I, I could I could feel you. You know, mm. you want to get like a nice echo on Yeah, like, I want like I want metal on bone sound, man. I want it to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Like that Go was it. The... Like that was. I mean, you, you. He's had it in him the whole time. That type of rage, and yeah. it's just like he's finally directed it in. I guess you could call it a healthy manner. Like these guys were fucking with him, and I, I can imagine that did. Uh, you know, well, what is for his self confidence. Now he finally his stood up. Love, I think is what really gave him that like direction because yeah, you generally see him like flailing at like the party or the family gathering or whatever, or like in the bathroom, but like in the attack he like sits there collects himself he's like are you okay and she like says yes and he just like like i don't think he's that you see that little droplet of blood go down like she's okay but she's hurt and he's like oh all right and he just gets out and he's just like a machine and it's you don't see him that calm or that collected at all for the rest of the movie you know that's a really good point it feels like he's like almost in his element yeah (laughs) his the what i think you know, being in love is kind of like what was able to harness all of this rage and give it like, you know, purpose or like something that he can be like, okay, like I can use all of this like energy to like protect this person that means everything to me. And, you know, the dude builds the movie in such a way that like you don't really see it coming, but it doesn't seem that from that, like, like out of left field because it's just like, oh yeah like awesome it's like uh it's like the moment in drive when he like kisses her before he fucking stomps that dude's head in you know and it's that like is right one of my favorite moments in film like that moment in drive they they taught ryan ryan gosling talked about what they were making in ways that you would never think about, but basically what he said in an interview was we did, it was a Wolfman movie. It was a, it was a werewolf movie. That's what it was. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, night falls, and this dude turns into, like, a criminal, and, like, all of these different things. And, like, watching that scene in the context of it being, like, a werewolf movie, she's with this person that she loves, trusts, that he's taken them out, like, her, her and her son out on like fun little expeditions and it's been like loving and sweet and romantic the entire time and in that elevator he like guides her to the side and like gives her a kiss and then turns around yeah like he he sees the hitman and the gun and he realizes that she's in danger so he like guides her to the side he gives her a kiss and then he turns around and he just wrecks this fucking guy and, like, the elevator doors are opening, and this dude is just stomping, stomping, stomping on this fucking dude's head. And she's backing up in horror. And when you think about this in, like, that werewolf kind of mode, they have this shot of Ryan Gosling turning around, and he has, like, his 
hands are all like clenched out like uh like claws and he's like his back is hunched and he's turning around and he has blood like all over his face and shit and uh you know the the look on her face the look on his face the elevator doors slowly sliding shut and you realizing that like okay that's it like they're done and like one of my favorite scenes in cinema at all sorry to take like a huge no, divergent no. but like that scene in particular I mean, is fucking amazing it's a theme like that's another great kind of romance movie that's not kind of romance first you know and it's, still manages yeah. to play it right you know and like have it not be super like cheesy and i mean it is cheesy and drive but it's like the technique of reference to do you know the montage of like them smiling on bright sunny days but yeah that kiss moment is like that you know it's like when it finally kind of like connects or like when everything finally connects it's like okay now she's about to also see how maybe kind of crazy this guy is this guy is able to like you know or he's, you know, kind of communicating his love for this girl through this action. He's, you know, uh, exercising like a bunch of just like pent up aggression that I'm sure he's never worked out up until this point. And it's just like, a, it's like the gasket moment, you know, like everything's sort of been like building and that pops off and then it's just kind of like falling action until he meets up with like Seymour Hoffman, but it's still just like, either Philip Seymour Hoffman's about to get beaten to death or, you know, they're just going to, like, part ways and that'll be the end of the movie. But, um, <laughs> great, gotta... great climax. Like, goddamn. Yeah. I, I do, I love the standoff between Adam Sandler and Philip Seymour Hoffman and I love the dynamic between the two of them. Yeah. I really, that scene, <laughs> that scene's great. But it's unfinished without Adam Sandler walking away and him following him out onto the floor. And he's like, you stay the fuck out of here, you fucking pervert. And Adam Sandler turned around and be like, what did I tell you? <laughs> Just gave the guy the phone that he's been carrying. Like. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is uh, he's amazing in this movie. He's amazing in every movie. But like when he plays, when he plays like a complete dickhead, he's perfect he's so good at it i don't i don't think he's i i don't think he was like that in his life but he he knows how to be that guy you know <laughs> just the most unsavory fucking character that you could possibly think of and he just he embodies it so well actually he wasn't even supposed to play the part uh he stepped in for sean penn i guess was the original pick oh thank goodness <laughs> yeah I mean, I don't like Sean Penn. Like, mm -hmm. he's, I think he can be good in parts, but, like, he's not really somebody that I look at and watch a movie for or anything. Yeah. But, yeah, that, him and fucking Philip Seymour Hoffman is a way better dynamic than him and Sean Penn, because, like, Sean Penn's just psycho. And, like, I wouldn't be able to buy kind of, like, Adam Sandler talking sideways to like Sean Penn and like not getting knocked out or something even with this movie behind it you know some journalists can't even talk to Sean Penn without getting knocked out <laughs> that's what I'm saying it'd be, hard to, 
<laughs> hard to pull that off if you're Adam Sandler. You need to get right? a good take because Sean Pittis takes everything so seriously <laughs> that he's just like, what'd you say? It's like, it's in the script, Sean. <laughs> need to relax. Calm down. God damn it. Cost $12 million an hour. For Christ's sake, just let us get the fucking shot. Half the, half the half the movies he's he's in they have to be rewritten they're not supposed to go down the way they do they're like he fucking hit him he fucking hit him that guy's dead we have to change the entire script why haven't we learned yet <laughs> he doesn't get work anymore you've noticed it that's you true that's sean true. penn's not in movies anymore because he keeps fucking right, killing everybody on the set he's got oscars <clears throat> academies and shit he's probably <clears throat> sleeping on royalties but, but yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman is a is a force. Yeah, you know? so such a good menacing goofball. Like <laughs> this whole movie manages to like live in this strange, like surreal, uh, you know, skew of seeming reality. You know, <clears throat> it's not quite the underbelly of like society or anything, but it's also not quite like the mainstream in the underbelly, like crossing paths, just kind of like Adam Sandler's very outside relationship with just the world around him and him kind of accidentally dipping his toe into this like, not very seedy, like those hitmen were just probably his like nephews or something like that that worked for him at the mantis shop. And it's just like, neither of these worlds are necessarily the archetypes that they generally sell in movies as like good guy bad guy or even as just like thugs and stuff like i was expecting almost more serious bad guys when they first showed up i was like oh dang they punched him like that's scary i guess in the context of like adam sandler's world and then you get to know all these people and it's just like these guys are clowns like they just they work at a mattress shop. This lady like does you know a phone sex hotline out of her house or whatever, but got like kids running around and stuff. And it's just like mm-hmm. it's it's just so mundane. It's hilarious, you know, to like yeah. have these elevated stakes and have them only really be elevated because of Adam Sandler's kind of uh, strange relationship with society you know yeah he uh, like this movie is like i mean i think like you're like it does feel like it is it's not the underbelly of society but also it feels like maybe in this world it could be like like this world feels so quirky and different (laughs) um it's funny how it like it's all shot in places that seem like totally normal but it feels like it's just seen through like the eyes of like an alien or something like it doesn't feel very much like my experience of the world um even though i recognize it as being like the place down the street you know what i mean like odd um i also wanted to bring up like one of my other favorite adam sandler rage moments is when he's talking to his sister on the phone when he's in hawaii (laughs) <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he just starts losing it he's like he's like why are you gonna do this it's completely unreasonable for you to treat me this way he's like just give me the fucking number you want me to fucking kill you i'll kill you you know <laughs> and just like listening to him freak the fuck out he's like is that what you want uh 
It's just like watching like And that's the Adam Sandler bit though. You know, like Yeah. As much as people like hate on him nowadays, like Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison are based or Happy Gilmore I'll, I'll say are like that's his kind of aesthetic and the freakouts are the humor, you know. Yeah. Fight with Bob Barker, like at a golf. Yeah, you're right. You know, this is this guy's whole shtick. <sighs> now that he, you know, now that he's teamed up with uh, like a fancy pants guy, like he's able to dial it into this, you know, intentional kind of piece, you know. Well, and, and it's funny too, like the way that Paul Thomas Anderson frames that moment, because you go from this really heightened like he's threatening to like kill his sister and then it cuts immediately to him on the phone with the hotel people and he's like hi i'm looking to speak to uh, lena leonard yeah you know what i mean it's like completely mild-mannered calm polite sounding guy um there's a juxtaposition you know yeah there's some wild editing in this movie i i watched something else last night that is taking up a lot of like too much space in my brain because of just how bad it was uh, edited. And yeah, I, I remember uh, Punch Drunk Love being uh, just being kind of jumpy. They're not jumpy, but just like having seemingly very intentional transitions, but having them, I don't know, just like add to the strangeness. You know, or like the trying to keep up feeling. It's kind of kinetic. Uh, It's kind of kinetic. It's like fast and kind of keeps the momentum going depending on like his mood state, you know, which is what I find to be like really effective and fascinating is like when he's starting to get stressed out, particularly when his sister has brought Lena to his job and like you're starting to see like he's worried about them. He's getting phone calls from the sex, the phone sex hotline that's trying to like uh, extort him, blackmail him, get money out of him, and shit. Yep. Then also there's shit going on in the context of his warehouse where things are things are going wrong, and like <clears throat> just the way that that stacks, combined with the music, you know, and this like steady kind of like build up of like holy shit, like it's just getting worse and worse. Um, and then, like, you know, you add into that, like, the sister finding out that he asked to speak to a therapist and that he has bouts of crying that are, like, unexplained and stuff. And, like, he's she's bringing that up in front of this girl that he's sort of interested in, like, all these different things stacking. And, um, you know, you're feeling the pressure and the weight on this dude and wondering if he's going to be able to, like, make it out of that situation without snapping because... Um, you know, he hasn't really showed the best restraint so far, you know. Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad, man, because like, you can kind of see, like, where a lot of his um, his low self-esteem comes from, but the way his sisters treat him. 
like yeah. right from the get-go. I mean, I thought it was pretty funny when um, he's like, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm with customers just having a chat. And she's like, oh, you're having a chat? And she just like rips into him for saying that. <laughs> and I'm like, damn. And I'm like, I get it, but damn, you know? And then he goes, you know, and he's like, are you, are you, they're all calling me. Are you coming to the party? And he's like, yeah, I'm coming. And he's like, you know what? I don't even know if I want to go to this thing. And you're like, what party is this? Like, what's going on? Like, I thought one of these is maybe his girlfriend. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. And he, he goes to this party and they're like instantly they're all like calling him gay this and that and like are you gay now and like the way he answers he's like uh i i don't know like i feel like he legitimately is like i you have told me this my whole life i don't know if i'm gay type thing, you know i'm like i don't know if this dude's ever had a girlfriend before and it's just like if, like remember that time that like we fucking broke you and you had a mental breakdown wasn't that hilarious and he's like yeah that was like really funny and everyone's just laughing about it like and he's just like yeah. struggling, and then he finally fucking does it again. He flips out and just smashes the sliding window door, and it's like, and they he, act like it's his fault. It's not. Yeah. It's not fair. Yeah. It's yeah, not fair. Like right there, like, well, you're fucking. Yeah, they call him like retarded and shit. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They call him gay and retarded, and he's, they're just like, you know, <laughs> but, just like continuously ripping this dude down like ron i know you have an older sister alves i don't know if you have any siblings but like yeah, when you're younger siblings. It's huh? i have older younger siblings okay yeah you know it's like when you're younger i mean you guys just fuck with each other one way or another it happens but like when you grow older you kind of mature and like you kind of put that stuff behind you and like yeah, otherwise that's like fist fighting stuff like okay we're adults i'm gonna have a drug night and just punch you in the face because yeah. i can and we could bring this to the police if you really want but you know yeah you, the general understanding should be to like bury that shit because you're yeah exactly it's like you grow up in your family and you're like all right you know either at least be cordial you know you don't expect to be that dude's probably in his 30s you don't expect to go to a family party in your 30s and have your siblings treat you like that still i would not be going to those family parties. no i wouldn't either hell no you would not hear from me for at least until the first few you know what's well, it's it's uh you know like that question again like are, are you gay now Barry is um is one of those things it's like if this is his model of like what females are like then it's like do you have any other choice like if that if you're surrounded by women that are like that your entire life it's like I'm definitely fucking gay like no <laughs> no problem don't worry yeah. <laughs> holy fucking shit looking pretty good whoever has uh the Spanish guy that works for him in the warehouse. I can't remember his name. Oh, uh, I don't remember his character name, but that's uh, Luis Guzman. Luis Guzman, yeah. Luis Guzman, yeah. Right. yeah. He's great. He is always like a fun presence. He has like a lot of personality to him. And I thought it was fun seeing him kind of, he still has like the sweetness that you kind of expect from him, but he's a little bit more like subdued in this movie compared <laughs> to other times he shows up. He plays like the, the straight guy. <laughs> You know, he's just like yeah. trying to figure out what he's talking about when he's talk mentioning like a phone call he's got to make. And, like he doesn't have any jokes really in there that are like no, yeah, or anything. And uh, yeah, it's nice to see him in that kind of comedy adjacent role. Yeah. You know, I like uh, 
like some of the early scenes when he's getting all the calls from the sisters and he's trying to talk to these guys and he brings up we just got this and they have like all these different types of plungers so like one of them is a dice uh dice and money um plunger that like the the shaft of it has like money printed on it and then the top has the dice and then he shows them one that has like an unbreakable handle and it's all white and it has a bride and groom at the top of it (laughs) and i thought that i was just like yeah that's pretty good um (laughs) but that moment like he's been stressed out because he's getting all these calls from his sisters and stuff and he talks about like this is uh one of our new ones that has an unbreakable handle let me demonstrate and he like hits it and it immediately explodes everywhere (laughs) so he gets like glass if you watch you can see adam sandler like go like this and pull glass out from between his lips (laughs) at one point (laughs) because it like just went everywhere when it shattered um but yeah no i mean a lot of those jokes uh you know like a lot of the stuff surrounding the sisters it falls into a weird space right like um like they talk about the differences between like um like I forget what the what they said, but I've heard like the argument made that like uh, like misogyny. I think it's the argument is that misogyny kills, or something. Is that is that what it is, or maybe it's the opposite? Misogyny insults because women are like, oh, that's insulting, but like misandry kills because men are like, I'll fucking kill you, you know, <laughs> because that's you know, but like, I think that this movie does a pretty good job of showing like the the subtle like degradation of soul that can happen in those situations because it's like it's not a direct affront it's not like a direct insult it's like the implication of like you have some sort of a problem with me and that not knowing is almost like that that not knowing is part of the the harm you know where it's like i feel like my sisters don't like me they say that they like me but then they say all of these other things that indicate that they don't like me you know what i mean and like that it's like a form of like real psychological and emotional abuse that he's being put through and like it's not bad enough that he has like one or two sisters that do it it's like the whole fucking all seven of them and it's just like what you said when he's walking into that house it's like every fucking comment is about him. It's like all they're talking about is him. And you feel like it's unreasonable to kick out all the glass doors. (laughs) (laughs) But also you kind of are like, I get it though. Like I kind of get it. Like, I mean, this poor guy is just like suffering in silence and he can't fight back. And then it boils up and then he has like a complete freak out and like they do a good job of trying to like chart what anxiety feels like and be a little bit like sympathetic to him despite how outrageous it is to do something like that. Yeah. <laughs> they set it up well because it's like, you know, that whole scene you just see kind of everybody talking, you know, and the like mix is just everybody saying these like kind of passive aggressive things or like insulting things to like one another. And you just, 
kind of letting it wash over you and you're just like why the fuck is this guy here like the him not totally going in like to the door for like a couple takes in the beginning was just like yeah dude (laughs) just turn around right now (laughs) get out of there like save yourself just and and like the undercutting happens in ways that aren't even connected to necessarily his sisters right like the undercutting happens and like there's a lot of stuff in that scene that is directly kind of like pointing to the idea of him not quite measuring up right so like when he walks in and he's like oh i got a cake and they're like yeah we already have a cake and they show him holding this little box and there's this gigantic like gigantic fucking sheet cake out on the counter there's like all these little things that they do to like undercut barry as a person you know what i mean and like that all of that work and all of that all of those little moments that pass without incident it's not like they do like one of those like comedy kind of like let's do like a shot where we get both of the cakes in frame and we hold on it for a second and then we cut back to adam sandler and he's like why not mine isn't that big compared (laughs) to the one you got you know like they don't do that they just let it kind of go you know and uh it's it's nice to see that kind of care taken you know what i mean they're doing a good job of allowing it to breathe you know allowing this story to kind of like just exist um and it's like rewarding as you watch it you know like the more you watch it the more you're like oh okay like i kind of understand what's happening here you know um it's nice to have something that doesn't feel like spoon fed to you, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a rarity. And, uh, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson is awesome. Uh, He's an amazing director. Like, all over. I haven't seen Magnolia, but after watching this, it's just kind of like, I should I should probably watch at least all of his movies once, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think he did one a little while ago um, that was... I'm trying to think if, if this was him or not, but let me just do a quick little search here. Um, yeah, he did one called Phantom Thread that was another one with Daniel Day-Lewis. And it was interesting, but it was probably like his most indulgent one. But at the same time, it's like he kind of deserves to be able to do what he wants, you know, at this point. Like, yeah, (laughs) I'm not going to argue with the guy about being self-indulgent because, you know, his his shit's solid. It's it's a good it's a good uh, good thing that he has going, you know, and I like his he picks a lot of actors that you kind of would expect him to pick. But when like this one is, is one that's just a little bit different, like him and Adam Sandler. I don't think that you would, I don't think that there's going to be another Adam Sandler, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I think that this is it. I think that this is the one that kind of like they explored it and they nailed it. And it's like, there's no need to, do anything like this again you know um we talked a lot about like the bulk of this movie um but what did you guys think about like the well 
yeah, let's talk about. I want to bring up one thing: the airline mile scheme that he's engaged in in this movie. Right? That's actually a real thing that actually happened. Um, yeah, a subplot of the film was inspired by an article in Time magazine about David Phillips, a University of California civil engineer who stumbled upon a lucrative frequent flyer promotion by purchasing 12,150 cups of healthy choice pudding for just $3,000. He accumulated 1.25 million air miles. It's amazing. Isn't that incredible? Right. I mean, that, that's the type of stuff that like, it's like, in the context of this script, you should probably pick up on it being like, you can't write that, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, but it didn't occur to me. And I, I read it today and I was like, that's fascinating that that actually is something that happened, you know? And that it was even the same brand. They even <laughs> used the same brand, Healthy Choice. Um, so yeah, uh, thought that was really cool. What did you guys think about the, uh, so the opening of the movie has him like calling to confirm with uh, the people running this promotion. Um, and then he gets distracted by like a noise and then he goes outside. What did you guys think about the opening of this movie? It's super strange, right? Yeah. Mega just slow. Like there's no hook. You know, it's just mm-hmm. kind of like, here we are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what was that? Okay, here we go. And it's just like, uh, all right. Neat. Kind of like, monotonous. Yeah. Yeah. John? Yeah, no, it was, um, I was trying to figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I thought this guy was like an auditor or something that he was like, hey, you know, like this doesn't make any sense what you're doing. And they were like, I don't fucking care. And he's like, well, let me get your name and extension. I thought he was like trying to get these people in trouble for something that they were doing wrong. And like, this just wasn't the case at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it starts off, he's in a room with a desk and there's nothing else in it. And you're like, what is going on here? He's like way off in a corner. Yeah. You know, in the car accident. Yeah. So like he gets outside, he walks down the length of the building, he gets out to the street. And he just is kind of looking around and he just glances to the left and you see cars going down the street. And there is just one of the most explosive car accidents that you've ever seen in any movie. And this car flips up and then does like barrel rolls down the street. And then a car from the checker cab company pulls up that has three or four people in it and they dump a small piano out onto the street and then they take off and and that's sort of like the the that's like the the first little chunk of anything that happens yeah it's very weird and they never go back to that car accident they never talk about it again very strange (laughs) i guess it's like because his life is like a car accident or something maybe yeah, I mean, I symbolism of like a car wreck right before you is, get to know this person. There's a lot of stuff in this one. 
that has these kind of um, the like in that opening sequence. I've heard a ton of different theories about all these like all these different coded messages that are in there, right? Um, and I think that like the the idea of like the car wreck equating to like something of like his life or something or like I think that that's a pretty good take the one thing that I really want to bring up about that opening scene is the small piano that he finds right it's actually an instrument called a harmonium right and I've heard people talk about it in in terms that it's something that is that it's solace for him, right? So like he sees it, walks away from it. He meets Lena, she mentions it. He winds up going back down to the street. You have like a jump scare moment with a big tractor trailer truck. He winds up picking this thing up and he runs back to his office and he sets it on his desk, right? And I've heard you know, like, like when you see him interact with it, he usually goes back to it when he's stressed out. Um, and people are like, oh, it's like something that comforts him and that he must relate it to Lena, right? Like he's like, that's the connection and that's what it means to him and all of this stuff. And I, I disagree. I have, a, I have my own theory, my own feeling about what that harmonium is. And my thought process is Lena, we only really see her interact with him and we only really see her interact with his sister, right? Those are the two people that we see kind of talk with her. In both of those cases, they both like Lena, right? So Lena being a harmonium that's kicked to the curb and left out in the street potentially to get smashed by a car that doesn't feel like it's analogous to her to me um but a piano that is definitely not grand that's been kicked to the curb that could probably play beautiful music if somebody would just love it if somebody would just take care of it a little bit it's him like that's why he picks it up that's why he takes it back to his office because it's what he he needs in his life is somebody to just care about him and to me the harmonium is you know is Barry um and I think that that recontextualizes some of the things that you see as far as his interacting with it because like in a moment when he's talking on the phone with the dude about the airline miles and he like puts his fist through the map on his wall he immediately turns around and he puts his arms over the harmonium and is kind of like soothing it. And it's like, he's soothing himself. Like this is, this is him, you know? Um, that's just my own, my own little thing. I think it holds up better than Lena. No, I like that angle a lot more than, than Lena. Yeah. For sure. And then there's one other thing that we need to talk about and it's going to be it might blow your minds. Guys, ready? Is it Lena? 
there is a theory that's been circulated that Barry Egan, and I won't, I won't want to say it in like a literal sense, okay? But that kind of, all right, so Alves and I made the punishment social justice. And it's not really about the Punisher, right? It's like Punisher adjacent, kind of. Um, there's a theory out here that Paul Thomas Anderson made a Superman movie. That Barry Egan is Superman in this. And it actually tracks in some pretty outstanding ways. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So as he becomes more heroic throughout the movie, you first see him in a blue tie that matches his blue suit. <clears throat> then you see a yellow tie and then a red tie. So he winds up checking off all the boxes of Superman colors. Um, his love interest, when he's in the blue suit, she's in a red dress and her name is Lena Leonard, the double L's like Lois Lane, right? We also see Barry Egan show off insane amounts of super strength. For instance, when he says, these are unbreakable uh, handles and then he completely shatters it and he writes it off. He goes, oh, well, that's, uh, this must be one of the old ones, right? But if it's not, then he just shattered an unbreakable handle. Also, a lot of people point to the idea that all those plunger handles are like crystal. So it looks like the Fortress of Solitude from uh, from the old Richard Donner Superman movie. Oh my right? god. Um, you see at one point him getting chased by these guys that are trying to like, you know, steal his money and stuff. And he's running, running, running. And he does this jump where he sticks his arms out in the air and his legs extend, and you actually see on the building behind him, there's a red arrow that lines up right with his back, so you get this Superman leaping, like George Reeves style thing. Um, he is, throughout the course of the film, uh, trying to get to a point where he can fly unlimited, right? So that's another Superman thing, him being able to fly, him saying that uh, like he had never been on a plane before, which it's like maybe somebody just never went on a plane, but maybe this guy never had the need to go on a plane or something <laughs> like he could have been flying around or whatever. Um, he has the phone call that takes place in Los Angeles and then they show him arriving in where, where was Philip Seymour Hoffman based out of? Yeah. yeah, someplace out like kind of in the Midwest. Yeah, but like he arrives Utah. Um, he arrives in Utah like still holding the uh, the phone. And in the context of the movie that you're watching, you're just thinking, oh well, Barry was angry and he like you know just clenched his fist on that phone the entire thing, or he heard that it was in Utah and he just flew with the phone in his hands and arrived like moments later is a possibility. Um, also, his sisters that are always badgering him 
they seem to be like a great source of distress and like kind of his weakness in his life and they're all represented there's a lot of fucking green whenever they come up so there's a lot of like kryptonite imagery wrapped up in this at the very end of the film when lena and him are like gonna be together she walks up behind him in her red dress and she drapes her arms over his shoulders and for a moment she becomes the cape on his back so yeah barry egan is superman awesome oh my god (laughs) that's a pretty interesting theory that's see that's the kind of superhero shit i want to see yeah like this is the kind of thing that i wish people would just let themselves do with like all the characters yeah what's interesting like even like adam sandler's like costuming in this is like splitting the difference between the superman colors and like the general Clark Kent disguise, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's amazing. It's such a cool, it's such a cool angle. It's a fun way to watch this movie. Is being like, is this Superman? Could it be? It's sick as hell. <laughs> Did you like read this somewhere? Did you just like think of it? Oh no, I I wish I was this smart. Is that I uh this is something that I stumbled across years ago um it was probably after I had watched it I had seen it a couple times already but it was probably right after I had watched it again and I went on YouTube just kind of seeing what other people were saying about it and I saw like Barry Egan is Superman and I was like what in the fuck and I started researching it and like I watched that video and then I've done reading about it since and it's um it's really like a it's a fascinating kind of angle and i don't know if paul thomas anderson has ever said anything about it um (laughs) yeah but it's a uh it's a cool idea the only thing missing is having philip seymour hoffman be more connected losing all his hair yeah, like something like that. Like maybe like more connected to some type of iconic Superman villain. But like even in the context of if you're thinking of this as a superhero story, then Philip Seymour Hoffman is identified as the Mattress Man, which sounds like it could be like a supervillain. Like it sounds like that type of Mattress Man, you know? He's like a, he's like the this world equivalent of Alex Luthor. You know, he's... The, kind of a megalomaniac. Yeah, and he's like above the people he was interacting with. He's got like muscle and stuff that carry out his dirty work. And yeah. you know, he's kind of the person pulling the strings, yeah. but he's not really pulling any strings because there's no real strings to be pulled or whatever. But, yeah. you know, he's the guy that he has to talk to to get people off his back. So it's like he is his opposite. And I fucking just love. Philip Seymour Hoffman's design as a design for Lex Luthor, just like in general, that's like perfect. Like perfect. Just paunchy, kind of like overweight. Just like you know. stubble, kind of flowing, you know, messy like blonde hair, just I don't know. There's just uh, a swagger about like that kind of um, entitlement that just like yeah. makes you hate him immediately and is also like this is the fucking perfect villain like oh my god he's uh, not a dude. could be anyone else besides 
Philip Seymour Hoffman either, you know? Yeah. He's the he's the dude that um like the the traditional Lex Luthor is a guy that is obviously better than everybody else. Whereas like the Lex Luthor that a Philip Seymour Hoffman plays, or even like a you know, for what it's worth, even like the Jesse Eisenberg Lex Luthor is the guy that thinks he's better than everyone else. You know? Yeah. Um and I like that. yeah, you could you, that that's not a bad take. That that could work. I think it'd be interesting. It's like not necessarily that's... in Batman v Superman. <laughs> yeah, in another, in another story, it might work better. But I, I just like the idea of like a, a paunchy Lex Luthor who like doesn't work out, doesn't eat well, but just like has the technology to live forever and just rubs it in people's faces. You know, he's just like, yeah, I don't have to take care of myself anymore, so I'm not gonna because once this body <laughs> dies, I'm just gonna put it on a fucking robot. Yeah, I'm Lex no, no sweat. <laughs> <laughs> Man, just saying the words "I I'm Lex Luthor" it just makes you feel good. Yes, <laughs> I fucking made it. <laughs> I gotta shave my head, and then we gotta start doing video podcasts. <laughs> yeah, so everybody can see <laughs> this. Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, I was running the risk of looking like a skinhead. I feel like I just put out a book where uh, a bunch of Nazis get murdered. There's no better time for me to have this book because if somebody says like, "Are you a skinhead?" I'll be like, "Would you like to buy a book?" You know, uh, it's a good move. Don't take um, my word for it. Take this five dollar book's word for it. Yes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, overall, um, this is one of those movies that, like, I, I forget about. It like slips out of my my consciousness, and then every once in a while, it'll like blip. Oh, I'll see something that will remind me of it. I'm like, oh yeah, I got I got to watch that again. You know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's my great... new favorite Superman movie. <laughs> I I don't uh, I, I I don't blame you for that assessment. That's a that's a good. It is a, it's a it's a fun Superman movie. It is. Yeah. John, have we done any more convincing on on you? Or are you holding with? Uh, you didn't hate it, but you didn't love it. Oh, I never said I hated the movie. I just um, like I said, the way it was filmed. It's just hard to watch, not in like a I hate this movie type way, but like it just made you kind of feel the things that this character was feeling. And I think that's um that's a success. Yeah. Not a bad thing. It wasn't a bad thing. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it doesn't spoon feed its audience. Like it, yeah, people you are know, watching and you know. typically with the with the score, it's supposed to set the mood, and like a lot of the times it's like, hey, this is how you should be feeling now. But this was like, this is how you're gonna feel. You don't have a, you don't have a fucking say in it, dude. And I'm like, all right, yeah. I guess I'm gonna feel really fucking anxious with this guy. Yeah, that's, <laughs> the next that's two a great, hours. Yeah, that's actually a great assessment of how that score works. I, I wasn't able to like find the words for it, but the idea that it's like, like a traditional score is like, this is how you should feel. This is a very arresting version of a score where it's like we're just gonna make you fucking uncomfortable. We're gonna make yeah, you like you're gonna exactly feel exactly the way this guy feels. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's actually that's actually a really good way to think about that. Um, yeah, it is. It is jarring. It's definitely not something that you like. You're like, oh, I guess I'll go to sleep now. I'll put on some movie scores to help lull me to. Blow me into dreamland, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm filled with like horrible nightmares. <laughs> just, like that's one of the things that's like so weird about the score. I was kind of talking to John at one point early on when we lost you, but like 
there are moments during the score that it feels like you're watching like a horror movie really yeah. really terrifying um you put you right right there with him and even extending out to like some of the cinematography and stuff like when he's getting chased by those guys feels very like uh almost like hitchcock you know that type of vibe where it's just like holy shit this is terrifying running around the hallways you're kind of like he's never gonna find her like how does how has he forgotten this number like he's lost in this labyrinth that is this apartment complex and that's it you know yeah but, um, yeah, I really like the 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 lady too. Like Lena uh, is an actor that like I feel like I've seen her in other stuff. Yeah, but, like haven't really retained it. Yeah, but, she um she was in Red Dragon that same year, which was the Hannibal Lecter movie with uh, Edward Norton. Yeah, um, she's also in Equilibrium with uh christian bale and uh trying to see if there's anything else that really stands out as a big one uh but no she's kind of like she's kind of right under the the surface of you know popularity and stuff but i always think that she gives good performances and like yeah she's great and you know this you know i uh i don't know i got smitten bit like by the end it was just yeah. like it was a very i don't know understated kind of take on the whole romance thing which is just like infinitely refreshing because it was like she didn't have to do any kind of like grandiose acting or anything to like communicate an interest or like a chemistry there or anything like that it was just you know really kind of beautifully stated like beautifully mm-hmm. understated with just like her whole performance and it was like she was perfect you know like for yeah. for this and you know unconventionally pretty which i also appreciate and mm-hmm. just you know really i don't know a really good sort of good structure for like a sideways romance movie a quirky romance movie to like to take and like be effective with these actors. You just made me excited because you said sideways romance and it made me think of uh have either of you ever watched Sideways? <laughs> no. That's another that that's another yes. Um <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's uh uh Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church is about to get married. The two of them are friends and they wind up taking a trip to wine country and uh, hijinks ensue. And I always, uh, it's another one of the, these kind of like quirky romance movies that stars like a leading man that like you're, like Paul Giamatti is like the leading man. And like, he's not the guy that you would be like, oh, we're going to put him in like a romance. Yeah, we're going to do that. But um God, it's a fucking great movie. We should do a show on it at some point. Um, but not not this week. Not this upcoming week. Because this upcoming week, taking a little little trip back to Snyderland, uh, I think is the decision. We're going to watch oh. Army of the Dead. 
Uh, yeah. Have you watched it yet? I have not. I did. You did? I'm excited. I did too. I've heard great things about it, and I can't wait to see uh, what he has in store. I'm fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We get the John Stewart Green Lantern in there. Uh, <laughs> in a perfect room. Spoiler alert. No, I'm just <laughs> Stay for the after credits. Uh, yeah, right. How long is this one? Is he ballooned up? He's putting out six hour well, movies now. <laughs> I think it was less than two, two hours, right? Oh, I thought it was like two and change. Oh, yeah, it might be two and a half. I don't know. I remember it being like, I remember like starting it up and being like, really, Zach? Like, even your zombie movie has to be (laughs) three hours long. Like, fun fact it was the day it came out, I got home, I was out watching um, the Bruins. They're in the playoffs. I was drinking. I get home, I'm drunk. I put it on, and I'm like, two and a half hours. It was late. (laughs) I watched like 20 minutes of it. I went to bed and finished the next morning. So, yeah, I I think it was a long movie. Yeah. But it, it's 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 fun. It is like pure pure fun, and uh, lots of Dave Batista crying, which is you know, it's like all right, you know, cool. It's like still Dave Batista doing Dave Batista stuff, but he's like getting a chance to like act a little more. But it's it just comes the the end product is just like wow, Dave Batista cried in every scene he was in in that movie, or he was about to, or he was killing zombies. I would too. I'm like, if you put me in Las Vegas with like a huge horde of zombies, I'd be crying nonstop. Yeah. Please let this a nightmare end. Uh, yeah. um, but cool. But yeah, I'll watch that. yeah, that'll be fun. There was a few mo- moments that my jaw was just like, whoa. But we'll get yeah. into that. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. I'm excited. All right. Well, I think that does it for this edition of the WT Fada podcast, 92 episodes in. We're getting down to the wire, guys. We're about to hit 100, and yeah. it's just fucking nuts. It's really insane. We got to do something nice for 100. Uh, I'm baby. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> do a new video podcast? Yeah, okay. right. Good night. Good night, guys. Thank you for listening. We, Bye. We, we, we just, right, we just like, say good night. dress our junk up and with little Google guys and mini mics and record I the whole podcast that way. Put well, little tuxedos on and YouTube make it, again. We'll make it classy. Upside down mouths, you know, with the <laughs> chin. Yeah. You guys we'll, we'll put tiny little mustaches on them and exactly. decorate them. Super weird. Yeah, big See, I, I think for like homeowners and stuff. I'm, I'm just saying that I think Kay was about to join like the cast of WT Fada in a more permanent capacity. So get these get these conversations out of your system now, okay? Once once she gets here, we're gonna have to like calm it down a little bit. Clean it all up. You know. Yeah. Man, no, no more of this locker room talk. So- <laughs> boys will be boys, you know? That's what it is. All right. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you for Bye, listening. Everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Do you need a new bath mat or a shower curtain or maybe even a bedspread? And ideally, would you like those things to have our faces printed all over them? 
It's a rhetorical question. I know that the answer is yes. A resounding yes. Head over to ron-iii-art.redbubble.com so that you can start adorning your house with WT Fata merchandise today. <laughs>